Bible reading this morning is taken from Psalm 37, starting at verse 1. And if you have a church Bible, it's page 563. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For, like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It it leads only to evil. But those who are evil will be destroyed. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Amen. So in a way, that's kind of not the real reading, uh, because you may remember that we're in the middle of a series uh, going through Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are these people, blessed are those people, blessed are the other people. Uh, And the one that we've got to uh, this week is... Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Um, But that uh, that reading is important in understanding what Jesus was saying. So that's why I thought we'd we'd have that. And and I guess uh, I've not found it that obvious, actually, what Jesus is saying. I think it's quite hard to understand what he means by uh, uh, when he says, blessed are the meek. So let's let's have a go. Well, let's pray. Uh, for the Lord's help. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the teaching of Jesus. And Lord, we submit ourselves to your authority, to the authority of Jesus. And we want to understand what you have to say to us. So we pray that you'd open our minds and our hearts and our wills and our lives so that we can be affected by what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to approach this in a sort of roundabout way by three kind of, sort of like stories or three perspectives on, on the meek, I guess. So I want to start with my situation at work. So I really, as, as uh, those of you who, who know me know, I really love my work as an academic at the University of Leeds. But it has its challenges, like any workplace does. Um, And at work, I would say it's quite a difficult organization to be part of, a massive, rather corporate university. Um, And there are quite a lot of injustices. So, for example, in the current industrial action of university staff, the threatened penalties for taking strike action, are mostly actually falling on the most vulnerable junior staff who tend to have the heaviest teaching and marking loads. Um, 
And it's, that's difficult. It doesn't look like there's anything. Lots of people are kind of up in arms about that. But it doesn't look as though there's anything much to be done about that. Um, women, staff, parents who want to drop down their hours in order to take care of children more during the early, early years of uh, those children's lives um, are not able to have any kind of commitment from the organization, from the university, to being able to go back to full-time when that period of their children's lives is past. That is something that seems to me unjust and really problematic. It's putting all the risks of childcare um, and particularly of being female onto the, those staff at a vulnerable time in their lives. I had a go at trying to push back against that. Nothing to be done. Sometimes there are lies told about colleagues by those in authority. And I've come to realize that you just get into a lot of trouble and don't do any good by trying to push back on those sometimes. Sometimes it's possible, but sometimes there's just nothing to be done. Uh, my work's quite interesting for trying to get ethical issues to be taken seriously by businesses and corporates. Um, I've tried on occasions to persuade uh, one of the big banks to, um, uh, to let us help them to, address, to enable their culture within the bank to be more ethical. Um, and in the end, it was clear they weren't really that interested. And it, so I suppose what, what I'm sort of saying in sum is, my work, fantastic though it is in many, in many ways, has given me some experience of how, how difficult it is in some situations to stand up for what is right. Um, uh, you know, you, you're in a, you can be in a power imbalance. It can be hard to stand up for what is right. And sometimes there, there isn't anything you can do. And in a sense, we have to accept it. Even though we don't accept it, we, we have to just accept that there's nothing that's going to change. Now, I think that's a kind of meekness. Here's another example that I came across, uh, so as, uh, as lots of you know, I've spent some time living in Pakistan. So I, during that time, I got to hear of um, a Pakistani businessman uh, who ran a business, a small shop, along the road in Faisalabad, where I, where I was at the time. Um, and there was a, a rich property developer who wanted the land where the shop was. And what that property developer did was, so, so you know, it's a shop a bit like, bit like this, um, along the side of the road, we just sort of roll up the shutters and sort of there, there's the shop. Well, the developer uh, basically bricked up a wall in front of their shop. They just physically stopped them from trading by making it impossible for anybody to get into the shop by building a wall. Now, that family didn't have any recourse to justice. Why? Because the police, at that time at least, and the courts could reasonably easily be bribed to side with the property developer. Um, and the property developer was in a much better position to do the bribing than the Christian business 
uh, businessmen and their, uh, their colleagues w would be. And because of situations like that, Pakistani Christians actually long for the return of the Lord Jesus because they have got, in, in situations of that kind, they've got no hope of, er of human earthly justice, right? So they long for the day when the Lord's going to come back judge the wicked, and set things right. They're not embarrassed about that doctrine at all. They hope for it and long for it because it's the only hope of justice that, that, that they've got. And in doing so, it seems to me, they show themselves to be meek. They recognize that there isn't any justice to be had. There's not going to be a way of resisting that property, property developer. Um, and if you like, they're casting their hopes entirely on the Lord. So that's the second uh, uh, perspective. And the third perspective is about... So some of you might know a verse in the Bible, a reasonably well-known verse uh, in 1 Peter, about our personal sharing of our faith with others. So this verse says, always be ready to give an answer to those who ask you for an explanation for the hope that you've got inside you. Always be ready to give an explanation to those who ask you to explain the hope that you've got inside you. And it's quite a challenging verse, right? Is, would my is my life the kind of life that makes people wonder what must be going on, on inside that I've got this hope? Does my life demand questions? Does it prompt questions from people about what's, uh, what the Lord is doing uh, inside me? Uh, and then... If they do ask me a question, am I actually ready to give an answer to explain uh, the hope that I have in, in the Lord? So it's quite a challenging verse, and I, I take it that um, uh, you know, some of us will have come across that verse before. But Peter's letter tells us to be ready to explain the hope that we have with meekness and fear. That's what it, Usually it's translated... Um, be ready to explain the hope that you have with gentleness and respect. That's, that's, the, that's the usual translation. Right? But the words is actually with meekness, with, with meekness and fear. And I think that what's going on there is that the world, the world isn't right. We're all screwed up in all kinds of ways. So when we try and explain our faith to others, they might find some of it weird or difficult or challenging. I mean, parts of the Christian gospel are challenging and unpalatable to some people, right? We can't, if we start to try and make the gospel uh, so that it hasn't got any unpalatable bits, we won't be left with any gospel left, right? There are some things about the Christian message and gospel which are difficult and unpalatable to, um, uh, to some. And that, I take it, is why we need meekness and respect. If you like, it's kind of care and caution. We don't want to bruise people by being unnecessarily aggressive or insensitive about our faith in, in Jesus. Gentleness or meekness uh, is important. So even when we're explaining our faith with others, we need, we, we need a kind of meekness. It's not, a, it's not a kind of, it's not passive meekness. It's not about being a doormat, I think. 
Meekness isn't about being a doormat. It's about kindness, and it's about recognizing what's possible. And I think in the, the case of sharing our faith, it's recognizing that it is not in our power to change somebody's mind. Um, there's a part that only God can do, um, uh, and we need to be sensitive to what the right contribution is for us to make at any given, at any given moment. Well, so those are three kind of cases. My work situation, the Pakistani businessman, and meekness in sharing our faith with others. What do, they, what do all these examples of meekness have in common? Well, that's where Psalm 37 comes in. So you, you might think, and actually this is probably true of lots of the rest of this passage of Jesus' teaching, that Jesus kind of, it's quite different and original, and that's what people said about it afterwards. Um, you might think, well, Jesus is coming up with this stuff off his own bat, and it's, it's fresh and new. But this particular line actually isn't fresh and new. Jesus has lifted it from Psalm 37. He's repeating something that was already there in, in Hebrew Scriptures. Psalm 37 says to the meek, Don't fret. Keep going. It's you that the Lord's going to vindicate. You will inherit the land. So in Psalm 37, there are two groups. You've got the meek, the meek who kind of are loyal to God, and you've got the wicked. Those are the two groups that are kind of discussed in Psalm 37. And David, the author of the psalm, says, Don't fret. The wicked look like they're coming out on top. The evildoers look like they're in charge of your organization, the council, the government perhaps. That might depend on your politics. But um, uh, they look like they're succeeding, right? The wicked look like they're succeeding. They look like they're getting powerful, getting wealthy, and doing much better than you are. Right? And I think that is how it, that is how it looks. Isn't it? A lot of the time. And that might lead you to think, well, what's the point? Why bother standing up for what's right? Why bother trying to live the Lord's way and seeking to live for him? It only goes worse for you if you do. And to that, David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, don't fret, in verse 1. Trust in the Lord and do good. So it's not a passive, it's not being passive that he's... uh, Telling, uh, telling people to do. Trust in the Lord and do good, verse 3. Don't get angry and don't fret. It only leads to evil, verse 8. You can't force the world to be just. Don't fret, for the wicked will be cut off, and those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land, verse 8 and 9. In a little while, the wicked will be no more, but... Verse 11, the meek will inherit the land. Right? Exactly the words that Jesus quotes um, in, uh, uh, in the bit of teaching in the Sermon on the Mount that we're, that we're looking at. So in the Bible, the meek are those who have to live in a challenging and screwed up world. And they have to live in the grey zone where there isn't a kind of clear, nice solution that you can easily take and injustice is thwarted. It's, 
It's for people who are, meekness is for people who are living in the messy business of a difficult business of a world that is not right. Sometimes the world is full of injustice and you can't do anything about it. You just have to depend on the Lord and leave things to him. And depending on the Lord not only invites him into the situation, so invites him into the situation of injustice at work or injustice um, in relation to, I don't know, availability of childcare or the Pakistani business person. It not only invites the Lord into that situation possibly to change it, but it also is about knowing that the Lord will take care of a bad situation in, in the long run. So in the long run, the Lord has promised to bring his justice to the world. One day he will put right every injustice and wipe away every tear. And that does make it easier to bear those situations where you face a bad situation and you can't do anything about it. And that dependency, I think, is what the Bible means by meekness or gentleness. So when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, when he's, if you like, congratulating the meek, who, is it, who are these meek that he's talking about? Who are the meek in Jesus' time? You might think, I mean, my first thought was, oh, it's the tax collectors and sinners. But I don't think that's actually the right um, answer. I mean, the tax collectors, in a way, weren't the meek. Uh, they were doing rather well. Um, in, uh, you know, they, were, they were the prospering wicked in Jesus' time. I think it's more like people like the Canaanite woman who comes to Jesus and pleads with him to... Um, heal his demonized uh, daughter. And when Jesus says, well, I've come first, first off to the people of Israel, she says, well, no, but, but no, even the, even the dogs um, eat up the crumbs from under, under the master's table. She's persistent, um, and she's throwing herself on, uh, on his mercy. Or the crowds of those coming to Jesus with sicknesses and diseases desperate for him to heal and put things right in their lives. Or Jairus, um, whose daughter is dying, who, who comes to Jesus. Or the hemorrhaging woman, who, as Jesus is on his way to help Jairus, reaches out and touches Jesus' Jesus's cloak. The Gospels, in a way, are, are full of stories of people who are desperate and reach out to Jesus because they know they're not going to get any help any other way. The hemorrhaging woman, remember... She'd gone to the doctors and they'd not been able to... She'd spent everything she had on, um, on medical help. No good. So these are people battling against the effects of sin and injustice and just general dysfunction in the world. The people who battle against injustice, people who battle against injustice sometimes have to give up or compromise or cope with setbacks and situations where you, there's nothing to be done. These are people who need to recognize that putting the world right depends on the Lord in really significant ways. It isn't something we can just go out and do. And those are the people who in Jesus' day turn to Jesus. So I think against that context, the Beatitudes are answering the question... Whose side is God on and what does he stand for? Whose cause is he going to vindicate? And I think they are often giving surprising 
answers to whose side God is, God is on. And so I, I know we've done this a few times, but I think it's quite a nice thing to do to actually just read through the, the, these Beatitudes again. And I've done my paraphrase. Um, so here's, 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 if like, here's, if you like, the Jamie Dow version of the. And actually, this is taking really seriously something that Nathaniel says, said um, last week, which is that, so this, this sort of rather pious um, word, blessed, that we, uh, that we use. In fact, for some reason, we, we sort of are inclined to pronounce it in this sort of oldie-woldie way and make it blessed. Um, why do we do that? That's weird, isn't it? Um, um, but it's not a normal, it's not an ordinary Greek word for doing well or being happy. Um, I mean, there are people who write stuff on this and, and say, well, this is Jesus' recipe for mental health. I dare say these things are good for mental health, but I just don't think this, I don't think Jesus is talking about mental health in this. Um, I think that, so the word that's used is more like congratulations, and it is actually an ordinary Greek word for congratulating people. Uh, So here's the, can we, is that big enough to be legible? Let's, Let's give this a whirl. So these are the paraphrased Beatitudes. Let's, let's, let's read them uh, together. Are you poor? Do you know you're a failure? Congratulations. The kingdom of heaven is for you. Are you grieving and upset? Congratulations. You will be comforted. Have you given up fighting back and are just pinning your hopes on God making things right? Congratulations. You are going to inherit the land. Are you hungry and thirsty for justice? Congratulations. You will get your fill of the justice you seek. Do you show mercy to others? Congratulations. You will get mercy yourself. Are you pure in heart? Congratulations. You will see God face to face. Are you trying to make peace? Congratulations, you will be known as God's own child. Are you persecuted because you're committed to justice? Congratulations, the kingdom of heaven is for you. If people are disgusted at you, harm you, and tell lies about you because of me, congratulations, celebrate it, you're in good company. The prophets before you were bullied and persecuted in just the same way. So if you're at the end of your resources because you know that there is stuff that you can't fix, because you know that there's a lot of stuff for the Lord Lord, that you can't do on your own, you wish things were different, but you have to accept that this is actually how things are, congratulations, says Jesus. It's you that will inherit the land, and one day you will be vindicated or will be put right. How can we apply, does that, that make sense? Um, how can we apply Jesus' teaching in our own lives? I mean, maybe it's obvious the first thing is that I think we can take comfort. We can k- take comfort from being congratulated by Jesus in this way. We can take comfort for where we've had to give up, for where we've wanted to do something and really felt we should but couldn't find a way of doing anything that would do any good. 
or where we tried to do something and it didn't work. The Lord's on your side and we can be encouraged and just um, take comfort in leaning on God to do his part. And when it comes to sharing our faith with gentleness or meekness, I think we can apply Jesus' understanding of meekness and the Bible's understanding of meekness from understanding that we ourselves can't change anybody's heart or mind. That is just isn't something we can do. So let's be content to explain our faith as best we can, with sensitivity, alert to what the person we're with is and isn't ready to hear. Sharing our faith open to the promptings of the Lord and maybe sometimes open to being courageous about what we say and how we speak, but also happy to trust that the Lord is the one in charge of any given person's journey to faith. The Beatitudes are... So, I mean, coming out of this, the Beatitudes aren't a set of rules, right? They're not a set of commands. It's not like Jesus saying, be poor in spirit, be meek, be pure in heart, right? It's not a set of commands. It's not an accident that they come to us in the form that they, that they do. They're Jesus' reassurance. They're his congratulations. They're Jesus saying, You'll be fr- you will be frustrated, The world's all messed up, and working out how to stand up for me and for all that's right, it's really complicated and messy. Sometimes you can't do anything. Sometimes you have to compromise. Sometimes you you try to make things better and you fail. Sometimes you even make things worse. Sometimes you try to explain your faith and it all goes wrong. As my followers, says Jesus, you're going to be in these situations. Congratulations. One day you'll be vindicated. One day the Lord will put everything right. The meek will inherit the land. Shall we pray? Lord, you're the sovereign God. And this morning you face us with our limitations as small people who are very limited in what we can do sometimes. And we're in a world, Lord, that's messed up. We pray, Father, that you would encourage us when we're faced with the need to be meek faced with what we can't do. Thank you for your reassurance. And thank you too for your promise that one day every injustice will be put right. Every tear will be wiped away. Thank you, Lord, that you're on the side of those that are trying to live for you and that cast their hopes on you. And we thank you that one day that hope will be vindicated. 
We pray, Lord, that you would enable us in our lives to rest on you and throw ourselves on you when we need to more and more. Give us courage when we need to stand up for what is right, when we need to be bold. But also give us your reassurance and trust in you when, when we come face to face with our limitations. Lord, we trust in you. Amen.